My name's Gene Frost. I'm a member here at Faith Covenant Church. Our regular pastor, Pastor Nate, is away on vacation. His vacation was originally scheduled earlier on, just as the pandemic hit. But he stayed at his station and helped us through that, adjusting our services, providing pastoral care, working with the church leadership. But we insisted that he take a week away so that he could come back to us refreshed, because we have many difficult days ahead. However, I have the privilege this morning of continuing the sermon series that he began, which was entitled, Who is Jesus Now? How the Ascended Christ Impacts Our Lives Today. We're going to ask the question, Who is Jesus Now? and answer it by saying that he's the perfecter of our faith. Now, this concept of being the perfecter of our faith was new to me until this assignment was given. But I was able to look into the scriptures and see exactly how it is that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. First of all, we'll look in the first scripture that was read this morning from Philippians, reading from Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is that good work that God has begun and will complete through Jesus Christ. Well, it's none other than our salvation, a life of being born again into the family of God. But while we celebrate being born again as the beginning of that life, we realize that that life will take a lifetime to be lived into with the goal of becoming Christ-like. It's analogous to the child birth of a child. We celebrate the birth of a child, but if that was all there was and that child died, it would be a tragedy. The birth is just the beginning. And so in the spiritual life, our new birth, our being born again, is just the beginning of a lifetime being lived into the conformity of Christ's likeness. This is the work of Jesus to bring us into a life that conforms to the image of Christ. We're going to look at how that happens and how that takes place and how Christ is the perfecter of our faith by looking at our second scripture this morning. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews 12, I'm going to read the second verse, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Again, I was comfortable with the understanding that Jesus was the founder of our faith. You see that he is the object of our faith. Had he not died on the cross, there would be no faith. It was his death on the cross that allowed us to be able to believe and accept the salvation that is available in him. And he's not only the object of our faith, but he brought us each personally through the Holy Spirit, drew us to himself, that he could become our Savior. But what does it mean to be our perfecter? We know what it means to be our founder, but what does it mean that he's perfecting our faith? The word there is teleotes, based on the Greek word telos, to have a goal. You see, Jesus brings us to the goal, the goal of becoming shaped like himself, to become Christ-like. He's the perfecter to bring us to Christ-likeness. This morning, we're going to look four ways he does that, out of the multitude of ways that God is the perfecter of our faith. But in this scripture, I see four ways that God perfects our faith. Let's look at them. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith because he makes us aware of those watching us. Two, he helps us to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us. Three, he calls us to run the race set before us. 
And four and finally, he will bring us safely to the finish line, the very throne of God. Let us pray. Dear God, in the few minutes we have together to study your word, help us to understand the part you play in perfecting our salvation, in perfecting Christ's likeness in our life and bringing us to that finish line. And pray that each one of us will find ways to incorporate this scripture into our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. First, we're looking at how does God make us aware of those who are watching, watching us? Well, we have three audiences. Three audiences. And the first audience is right here in the first verse of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the first audience we have are all the saints that have gone before us. All those who have lived and are enumerated in Hebrews chapter 11, those who have lived the life, have kept the faith, have run the race. And there's an example of those who have gone before us that can be tremendously inspiring to us. To think about those who have lived and died before us and how we can live up to their example, how we can live up to what they've done and showed us. There's a movie, Saving Private Ryan, and the closing scene is a soldier now in his 80s on Normandy's beaches at the, at the graves there at Normandy. And he's standing over the grave of a soldier that died to save his life. And he turns to his wife and asks her, have I lived a life worthy of being saved? It's a pungent and poignant moment that um, this soldier asked the question. But it's inspirational to think about what people have done to gone before and made available to us. There's a movie I watched just recently about a young man who had descended into depression and some alcohol because of the tragic death of his brother. An older man in the movie steps forward and says, what would it take to make your brother proud of you? What could you do now with your life that would make your brother who's doesn't have that life, proud of the life you lived. And it totally transforms, as the movie goes on, his life. I think of my own example in my family. I have a picture on the wall in my study. It was in my dad's study for over 50 years. It was given to him uh, back in the 60s. And it's a picture of a pastor at his desk, a pastor that looks quite a lot like my father. And across from the desk is Jesus speaking to him. And I think of my father listening to Jesus as he prepared over 5,000 sermons. And I think to myself, can I live up to that? Can I live up to the example of someone who lived before me and showed me how to live the Christian life, to live the Christ-like life? And we all have examples that we can look to here in Scripture, in chapter 11, in our own life, in our family, in our churches, of those who have gone before, who have inspired us to live up to their examples because they stand at the balcony of heaven looking down and watching us now. There's a second audience. It's the saints who are alive today. Not only the saints that have gone before, but the saints who are alive today are watching. Those are the people you rub shoulders with every day. The people in your family, the people at work, the people at school, the people you cross paths with, you conduct business with. They are watching to see Jesus Christ lived out in your life. Knowing that people need to see Jesus through you and I is a great inspiration for how we should be living, how we should be conducting our life. Are we showing them Jesus in the way we behave and act? 
And finally, there's a third audience. In addition to the saints who have gone before, in addition to the saints who we live with today, it's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is a witness to everything we do. But not only that, he's a witness to everything we think, every thought, every inner feeling. The psalmist puts it this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. These three audiences should cleanse our lives, should inspire our lives, should, should help us toward Christian living, to Christ-likeness. And Jesus is working through each one of those audiences to bring us into the conformity of himself. Secondly, we find that Jesus helps us to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us. Well, at first I kind of blurred weight and sin and realized that, no, they're not the same thing. You see, what is a weight? A weight is something that is otherwise good, otherwise nothing good and bad in itself, but it can become a weight when it's misused in our life. Let me give you some examples. Work. Work is a good thing. The Bible said we each should do our own work. In fact, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Work is good until it becomes our slave master, until we become a workaholic, until we substitute work for the other priorities in our life like family and church and ministry. Work, while neutral itself, can become a weight in our life, a burden when it controls us instead of us controlling it. Money. We've been given money to steward, to use for God's work, to do many wonderful things with. But when we cease to control money and it controls us, its lure, its power, its desire, we find that the love of money becomes the root of all evil. Time. We're all given the same amount of hours in a day, the same days in a week, the months in a year. What do we do with our time? How do we use it? Do we squander it? I'm thinking um, even of this time in the coronavirus, how are we using our time? The first couple of weeks, everything was helter-skelter, and we really weren't sure what we should be doing, but, but now we have a rhythm. Is it just Groundhog Day? Are we just going through a, a meaningless activities day after day, or are we accomplishing something for the kingdom? How are we using our time? TV. TV is neither evil or good. It's how we use it, and it's what we watch. Um, I remember um, Pastor Nate mentioning the series with Michael Jordan and enjoying that, getting our athletic uh, sports fix. But I also realized years ago that I could watch mindless TV, just that stuff, not news, not sports, but just that stuff that, that accomplishes nothing, that just, uh, I, I confess that um, forensic files, they ha have this great thing where they uh, tell you the beginning of the next episode like we found this hair will this solve the murder well I don't know will it I've got I got to watch this next half hour to find out if that hair will solve that and they got me hooked and I realized years ago that this was not a good way to spend my time so what I had to come up with was a system that each month I would take a card and fill out it for each day had 30 um, check 30 days on the month or 31 uh, depending on the month and then I would mark down what I did to spend time watching news or sports. But then I had the column other. 
um, euphemism for wasted time. And I look back, I started this in 06, and I spent seven hours a month watching other. And then it drifted down as the years go by until last year, it was 1.2 hours a month. I was spending a whole day, literally seven to eight hours a month, spending a day of my life watching meaningless TV. And now I've been able to get it down just to an hour in between things or maybe when I've just uh, had to veg out. But again, getting control of our time. When we don't have control of our time, it can become a burden. It can become squandered and wasted. And this is true for our family, our hobbies. Each one of these things can become idols in our life. See, these are the weights that they're talking about in this passage. Good things that we've abused or misused or haven't redeemed and become weights in our life. But the second one is we all know about the second one, sin. Those sins that... um, Pastor Nate reminded us when he put this card in our, in our bulletins and he explained the seven deadly sins. Pride, lust, anger, greed, envy, laziness, and gluttony. Interestingly enough, there's seven deadly sins and there's seven days in a week. And when Pastor Nate provided this with, for us, I, I turned it into my prayer cycle and, and focused on one, one a day each each week. In fact, I can go through these with you and, and realize where there's pride in my life, where there's lust. We have a pandemic of the coronavirus, but we have a pandemic of pornography in our society today. And I was hooked as a junior hire, and I've shared this testimony before, that the drug that is released in the brain is an addictive drug, and it hooks you, and you become an addict. Um, I realized that I had to stay away from pornography, so I learned to stay away from magazines. Fifty years ago, that was the only place they were, and God gave me victory. I stayed away from them, and I didn't have the trouble. And then Satan invented uh, the, um, the Internet. I'm sorry, he invented the um, TV cable. And so then I had to stay away from cable. In fact, when I worked 10 years um, from 95 to 05, when I would spend a week, a month in Portland, uh, running a company there, I would make sure that my room at the motel had no TV in it. I would show up at the hotel sometimes, they say, oh, Dr. Frost, your room is not ready yet. Of course, everybody around thinks I'm getting this luxury suite. And I simply just didn't want a TV to deal with, both for the other wasted time or the temptation. And now there's the internet. And so now I've had to uh, join a a service that watches your internet with a friend and so they'll never show up on my on my phone so God has helped me each chapter of my life deal with this problem of lust and anger I was a rageaholic growing up I've had to learn to think about the other person to take the deep breath to count to ten to think about the consequences so much so that um, a few years ago a fellow worker came to me and uh, said Gene I need to to ask you about that situation because uh, I realize you never get angry. I just had to smile to myself if he only knew. That's God's victory in my life over sin. And I could go on, greed, envy, laziness, and gluttony. Gluttony, I allowed myself to put on a few pounds this winter and I went into the pandemic starting to nibble and snack and realized my belt was getting tight. So the last four weeks I uh, worked at it. I worked at what I ate. I've tried to become active and I... I've lost eight pounds. These are things that you have to work at all your life. 
These are the sins that entangle us. Well, we've realized that there can be weights that we need to lay aside, sins that we need to become disentangled with, but they can actually destroy our lives. I, I had a video that I wanted to show, but because of copyright rules, I wasn't able to, so I just have this visual. Yes, it's a coconut. And what would happen is if you would cut a hole in this coconut and hollow it out, you could put something in there. It, it could be like the weights we talked about. It could be something good. It could be something bad like, uh, you know, something, a bead or a candy or something that uh, this monkey doesn't need to have anything or, or eat. But anyways, if we can get this monkey interested, um, we could put this out in the bush and he would go in there and he would grab it. He would take hold of what is in that coconut so much so that what he wants he becomes entangled with and his fist becomes this coconut he can't climb a tree the hunter comes out he captures the monkey and it becomes their dinner that night that weight that sin entrapped that monkey because he couldn't let go we need to let go we need to grow with Jesus help to let go of those weights and sins Many times, God miraculously does that in our own life. But as you heard me go through these, these exercises or these sins that I'm dealing with, sometimes God alone can work in my life to do it, but sometimes I need someone else. Sometimes you'll need someone else. Um, I think about some people in this church, John Reimers, Rick Wolf, Pastor Nate, people who are gifted at helping others or connecting others in groups. We found the genius of AA or SA or diet groups or workout groups are able to help people overcome their sins and addictions, the weights that hold them back. But why do you need to lay aside these weights and sins? Is it just because they'll destroy your life? No, because they're keeping you from running the race God has given you to do. Number four was Jesus will bring us well, I'm sorry, number three. Jesus calls us to run the race set before us. We have to lay down those weights and those entanglements or we can't even begin to run the race, the race that God has given us to run. We look forward to seeing the race that each individual here is running in their life because God calls everyone to a unique race. I can't run your race, you can't run my race. God calls every one of us to run the race that he has given us to, to run. But we can talk this morning about some of the common arenas that we all run in. I think one common arena that we all have is as members of God's family. We are all children, brothers and sisters, and parents in God's family. Sometimes that's lived out in our nuclear family or extended family, but it's certainly real in our spiritual family. What does that mean? That means we have to be a parent in this family to those younger than us, those more uh, younger in the faith and younger um, biologically. In fact, we make a promise here at this church at the baptism or a dedication that we will help raise that child. We will contribute to the advancement, to the finding salvation and living out a life of Christ-likeness in that child through our involvement in that child's life. I know I need to call myself to be serious about that in serving in the nursery or being willing to work in a Sunday school class or a youth group or in some ways just of reaching out and getting to know the kids in this church. Maybe during this pandemic you can write a note or send a letter. Mail is really unique in their culture today and this would light up the life of a young person to be remembered by you. 
We play this role as a parent in our churches for those younger in the faith. But we also play the role of brother and sister. We need to support one another. We need to encourage one another. Again, during this pandemic, who could we reach out to? I thought of my sister who I don't have a lot of interaction with her. Um, Throughout the year, we try to get together in the summer and at the holidays. But I thought this would be a particular time to reach out. And I was so rewarded in the conversation we have, we had. I know the people are reaching out and, and going through their address book and thinking of people that they haven't talked to in years. I received a call from a woman that I did her wedding 20 years ago. And she's moving out of the area and wanted to talk. She's moving to Phoenix where I visit uh, regularly and I'm going to see her there. But these are all spawned because we're taking care of our brothers and sisters. And then also we have to look up to who are our spiritual parents, who are our mentors, who do we have that we can learn from and grow from. So we run the race by playing our role in God's family. We also run our race by playing our role in the church. As members and attenders of this church, we have a role to play. It's to support this church financially. It's to be um, a steward of our tithes and offerings so that this church can flourish, so that our building um, project will be successful. We need your prayers. We need you to support for this church as you run the race of being a member here. We ask you to look at the prayers of faith and think about those that you need to be praying for each week and the needs of the church. And then also to use our gifts. How can we be used in the service of this church? Right now, things are kind of shut down, and unless you're launching our garden or helping with filming this video, there's not a lot of roles to play right now. But when we reopen, we need people. We'll need ushers. We'll need Sunday school teachers. We'll need nursery workers. We'll need those that serve the meals. We'll need those to clean up. We'll need those to serve one another here in this church. So we have another race to run the race as a member of God's church. The final arena I want to talk about comes out of the sermon series that Nate gave us, the Every Series. He reminded us that every one of us is a missionary. We need to think about those in our life who not yet found Christ. Who are we praying for? What unsaved friends, family members, neighbors do we need to be praying for, do we need to be reaching out to? How can we serve them? Is it mowing the lawn? Is it greeting them, reminding them um, that they are uh, being thought of? We need to serve in our community. We have people here who work in the food bank, in our community centers, tutoring, um, helping out their neighbors. I know of meals being delivered personally for those who are um, suffering or struggling. We need to be a missionary. We need to run the race of a missionary. So, What is God, through Jesus, doing for us? He makes us aware of those watching us, the saints who have gone before, the saints who are around us today. He himself, he asks us to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us so that we can run this race. And finally, he promises that he will bring us safely to the finish line, the very throne of God. We return to our scripture here in Hebrews and read Hebrews 12, the second verse, says, looking to Jesus, who is the founder, as we've discussed, and who is the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. Jesus is the finish line. 
To become like Jesus is the finish line. That is what the point of sanctification, that's what the point of that new birth to bring us into maturity was to become like Jesus Christ. And that becomes the finish line. There's great power in having a finish line. I think of a story in my own life. I was a, uh, on the track team in high school. I was a high jumper. You didn't need to do a lot of conditioning to be a high jumper. You worked at your craft and you went out Saturdays and you high jumped. But one Saturday we were missing a runner for the mile and we needed somebody to participate in the mile race. And I fancied myself as an athlete. I'd played basketball the previous season and had run a little cross country and I thought, you know, how hard can a mile be? And sure, I'll, I'll sign up and I'll run the mile. I began, I had never trained, I didn't know how to run a mile. I, I knew vaguely that you're supposed to set a pace that you can keep and uh, that would be uh, carry you around the four times around the track and you'd complete your mile. I, I began my pace to something that I thought was comfortable and a rhythm that I could keep and pretty soon I was in front of everyone. On that first time around the track, I started thinking to myself, I said, this could be the beginning of that movie. That movie where that young man just jumped up and ran his first mile and won and went on to the Olympics and, and I was telling that movie to myself, I finished one lap and realized how tired I was. My lungs began to burn, my legs began to turn to rubber and I couldn't keep that pace and I, I started haltingly continuing to run and I think most of the people passed me on that second lap and, and by the halfway point of a, a mile race, I was done, I was exhausted. I realized that if I could just get around on that third lap on the far um, side of the field were bleachers. I could hide in behind the bleachers and no one would know that I got out of the race. So I told myself, if I can just get to those bleachers, I can, I can get out of this race. And sure enough, I get to that point where it, would, it was a decision point and something struck me. I had a finish line. I hadn't finished yet. And so I said, I've got to finish, so I went ahead and finished that third lap, and by the time I had finished that third lap, I realized I had made a mistake. I was going to die. If I could just get around on that fourth and final lap to those bleachers, this time I would, for the sake of my uh, physical condition, I would get behind those bleachers and, and just kind of crawl around and, and pretend I never ran the race. And I got to that same decision point, and something inside says, you've got a finish line. You've got a finish line. And I passed those bleachers and I had everything to keep going and I struggled across that finish line and collapsed. But I had made it across the finish line. Having a finish line pulls out the best, gives us a target, gives us something to keep going for, keeps us going. And Jesus has given us that finish line. It's the very throne of God. You see, there's going to become a time in our, in our existence where our life is over and we're at the finish line. And we are going to be Christ-like. We're going to be clothed in his righteousness. We're going to be forgiven. We're going to be washed whiter than snow. And we're going to stand at the throne. We're going to stand at the finish line. And if we ran our race, if we laid aside the weights and sins, if we played to the audience God gave us, we will hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God has promised through Jesus Christ to be the perfecter of our faith. He has made us aware of those who are watching us, those who have gone before, those who are living now, 
In fact, Jesus himself. He helps us to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us so that we can run the race that was set before us for our own personal lives. And he promises that he will safely take us to that finish line, the very throne of God.